0: or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome to Sparking Wholeness. Today I am sitting down with Dr. Duana Welch. She is the original Love Factually author and coach known for using social science to solve real life relationship issues. She was a professor at universities in Florida, California, and Texas across 20 years and has contributed to NPR, PBS, Psychology Today, and numerous other outlets, podcasts, and videos. Her first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do, is now out globally in five languages. Love Factually for Single Parents and Those Dating Them is the second book in the series specifically geared for finding the right par- partner, not only for readers, but their families. And new book series, Love Factually Singles, provides science-based dating advice in short single topic titles to save readers time and money while delivering content specific to their needs. All of Duana's books rely on science rather than opinion to help men and women find and keep the right partner, and they all have a blue cover for easy identification. She is an expert for the relationship app Paired, where her course Dating Mindsets is featured. Her love factually client practice is global via Zoom and other technologies. So Dr. Welch, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for the great intro. I am
0: so excited that we are talking about this and, you know, I I love that you have a book specifically for single parents and dating as well, because I was a single mom for five years and I do know a lot of friends who are entering back into the dating world with kids from, you know, broken relationships, all of that. And, And this is really applicable to a lot of people. So I'm just excited to dive into all of this today.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, I didn't know that about you. And I have to say my hat's off to you because as you know, having read my work, I too was a single mom and it's, it's a really tough gig. And there are are a lot of psychological hurdles to get through to find the right partner, but you've done it. And so, um, and, uh, and I actually did it for a long time. Although, um, I, I actually did wind up getting divorced, but it had nothing to do with, you know, the match between any of that. Um, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough. And uh, so yeah, let's dive in. All right. Well, I do love how open you are about your own
0: story. And so I'd love to get a little bit into the background of how you came up with love factually, and all of the different variations of it just to give people listeners a background on you and your story and your studies
1: and research and all of that. Sure. Well, the, the really short answer is I wasn't very good at dating. (laughs) And and so when I was in graduate school, I had had this breakup that the breakup itself was just a breakup. I mean, it it was hard, but what made it really hard is it came on the heels of, of several other breakups. And I just thought, you know, for a smart woman, I'm doing some dumb stuff and I don't even know what it is that I'm doing. That's, that's not good, but I know that it's not working out. And I assumed the common denominator was myself. So it occurred to me one afternoon that I was getting my PhD in memory and aging, but certainly somewhere someone had to be getting their PhD or had already gotten it dealing with intimate relationships. And they probably knew things that I didn't know. And, or at least I hoped they did. And it turned out that was true. There were a lot of people going back over about a 60 year span of time. At that time, probably more like 40 years span of time who um, they knew a lot about what makes intimate relationships work. Not just what makes them fail because knowing what makes a relationship fail and doing the opposite turns out not to be helpful. Isn't that interesting? You have to know what makes a relationship succeed and you have to do that stuff. And so I started looking at both sides of the data that way, just to help myself. And after I'd helped myself and, and I did, it helped a lot, you know, just because a relationship doesn't work forever, doesn't mean that it was worthless or that you wasted your time. I wound up having, um, two marriages that actually were really wonderful in their ways. They both ended because of addiction. Um, their addictions, not mine. I'm very sad about that. But, um, the fact is I, I learned how to relate effectively, how to pick for the most part wisely and, um, how to have a happy life with another person. And when people saw that I had done that, they started asking me if I would help them. I built a client practice around that. I do have a PhD in psychology, although I'm not a therapist, I am a coach. I see clients all over the world and that turned eventually into books. So, you know, because I wanted everybody to have access to this information. And I also to this day answer all my emails for free. So anybody who feels like emailing me, I will answer you. I will not charge you. Um, So that's really how I got into this. And I still read relationship science all the time. My hobby is my job and my job is my hobby. I love it. I feel very lucky. And uh, yeah, the single parenting thing, just a real challenge. Lots of Sub challenges within that. And uh, I have faced them. And I, I, the struggle is real, as they say, but science can help. Yes.
0: No, I, I love that. And I love, you know, it's so interesting for you to be going into relationships and working with people on their relationships because there are so many layers that go into that because you're talking about not only what you're carrying, what you're bringing into a relationship. But other people are bringing all their stuff and their wounds and their family history. And, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to get into. So I, I'd love to know just how does family of origin play a role? And when you work with people,
1: family of origin is huge for most people. Really, it's huge for all of us. And, and a big reason it's so huge is that it shapes something called our attachment style. Attachment style is our habitual way of being or behaving and feeling in an intimate partnership. So in other words, our attachment style has some impact on all our relationships, but it has a vast impact on our intimate partnership, our marriage, our romantic relationships, how we get in and sustain and even leave those partnerships is shaped by attachment style. And all of us have an attachment style very first year of life. Obviously, in our first year of life, it's not about our romantic partnership. It's about the relationship that we have with our primary caregiver. For most of us, that's mom. For some of us, it's dad or or a foster parent or eventually a step-parent. But whoever that person is for you, whoever those people are for you, it it tends to carry into adulthood. We now know that about two-thirds of people by the time they are in their early twenties have the same attachment style that they had when they were babies. Isn't that interesting? Now that doesn't mean that how you were treated as an infant is your destiny, but it does say that unless we take steps to change, if you want to change how you relate to your intimate partners, unless we take steps to consciously make different choices, it's likely that the buttons installed at the factory will just keep on getting pushed. So past is present and people say that's in the past. Our past is always present, but it doesn't mean that it has to be present in a terrible way. Now, some people get really lucky. I'm in an intimate relationship now that I'm very happy in. And you know, some people get really lucky, and and their upbringing makes it where they're very, very secure. And by secure, I'm not talking here about financially. I'm talking about emotionally. These people feel that life is likely to go well. They feel that intimate partnerships are likely to make them happy. That those partnerships can be improved over time. They have a growth mindset about those partnerships. They tend to feel um, that. Things ultimately will work out. And that is a wonderful way to be. And the person that that I'm with, that's how he feels about life. That's wonderful. Now, I think that I also had a secure attachment style from how I was brought up, have life experiences that change that. Here's the good news let's say that you started out not feeling safe and secure, and then you just happen to get involved with someone who over time shows that they are rock solid, that you can absolutely trust them and that they will always be there for you. You might get something called earned security, which means your attachment style becomes secure, even though that's not how you were raised.
0: I love what you're saying here. I want to pause, hold that thought, take a quick second, and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. Now, hiring people off resumes alone is like doing deadlifts without warming up. Sooner or later, you're going to get hurt. And I have been there many times. (laughs) Get Indeed to do the heavy lifting with over 135 assessments and unlock big gains for your company. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed, the job site that makes hiring incredibly simple. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope your perfect candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise to hire faster and smarter. In fact, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed Assessments, choose from 135 skills tests to help make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills you need. With Indeed Instant Match, over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com spark. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash spark indeed.com spark offer valid through September 30th terms and conditions apply. So we're talking about emotional security and attachment styles, and I want to get back into that. And so you're saying that someone can start out without being able to have secure attachment, but it's possible that that can change over time.
1: So that's the good news is some people start out feeling really anxious or feeling like um, it's not safe to rely on other people. But then they have a partnership that teaches them, oh, it is safe to rely on at least this person. Here's the bad news. There can be people like me who start out feeling really solid, who then get in a situation where their heart is just shattered by someone. This happened to me in my early twenties and their attachment style changes. I seem to have had a very secure attachment style going into my early twenties. And then the boy that I had been in love with since high school, who had tentatively asked me to marry him. My mom had taught him fifth grade. He gave my engagement ring to another woman and broke it off with me. And it was devastating. It wasn't just a breakup. It wasn't just a betrayal. It was really a shaking of my foundation. And it it took me a long time to overcome that. So messages for you. First message, the way you were raised does not have to be your destiny. Second message, you can become more secure if you want to, and we can talk about how here in a minute. Third message, unfortunately that can go both ways. You can have life experiences that can make you less secure as well as more secure. So a big takeaway from this is, learn to recognize what secure partners look like. And if you yourself are not secure, strive to get with someone who is the easiest pathway toward earned security toward becoming secure even if you aren't right now is to find and keep a secure partner that's by far the easiest way to do this
0: yeah oh i have so many thoughts there you brought up so many good things um so my first thought and it'll lead to another thought but my first thought is so really this is why you know in a family, you would have three different siblings, and each sibling might show up in relationships a little bit differently because I think we parent each child we have differently, you know. So
1: attachment mm-hmm. style could be different between sibling groups, right? You know, it's so funny. The very first paper I ever wrote that was a research paper was on birth order. And it is true that parents react differently to children based on birth order children also react differently to parents based on birth order because of course we all fit in the constellation of our siblings in different ways and we react to our siblings as attachment figures as well if we are the younger siblings and so you know it is quite complicated it's it's more complex than tell me about your mother (laughs) (laughs) but yes you're right It, it you can have different children who have different attachment styles. That said, it continues to be the case that attachment style is mediated both by nature and nurture. There seems to be a genetic component to it. It's a complicated beast. And most of us have the same attachment style that our mother had, which I find fascinating. Oh, wow! Yeah. And that's not just because of how she raised us. It's because we share her genes as well.
0: Hmm. And we also share, well, and this would go, this goes off into a whole different thing. I I still have another thought I want to ask you on, but this, this goes into like that whole, how we carry trauma in our genes and in our DNA, right. That's passed on through the mother's side. Is, is that, would that play a
1: role too? Oh, such a fascinating question. So I just read a study one week ago. It's the first study ever that proves that trauma that males experience in their early life can shape the way their sperm are produced for the rest of their life and pass, it passes a tendency to get stressed out onto their children. Wow. So it's epigenetic, meaning there are light switches that sit on top of our genes that turn things like stress on and off or the propensity to be stressed on or off. And that is passed down from both parents in their gametes.
0: Wow. Okay. I thought it was just on the mother's side, but you're saying it is passed down through the sperm as well. Yes. Wow. Okay. That is crazy. It's, so-
1: it's the, the, our, the idea here is that evolution has shaped us to prepare our children for the world that we inhabit because they probably will, will inhabit the same world. Now that's no longer true. We no longer live in hunter gatherer tribes of up to 120 individuals who we know all of our lives anymore. We don't live in that environment anymore. You know, um, our children may move very far away from Mm -hmm. the parental home. They may not know almost anybody, but their immediate family in common 30 years from now. And they almost certainly live around more than 120 people, but our genes don't know that they're still behaving in a prehistoric fashion for the most part. Mm. So our genetics are preparing our children to inherit a world and inhabit a world that they are fit to survive. If our world was stressful, they come into the world prepared for a stressful world. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it is it's, It is all about survival. Our, and
0: everything that all of our reactions, all of our emotional responses are about survival as well, which goes back to that attachment style from the beginning. And so you mentioned, you know, we we can become more secure. And I know a lot of people Like, well, if I'm not, you know, a secure attachment style or however you would say it, um, how do I know that I can pick somebody who is secure in their attachment style? And what if I pick wrong or I've picked before and I was really confident in my choice before, and then that went
1: south. So now what, what do we do there? You know, those are all really good questions. So The first step really is learning about your own attachment style. I've actually got a book out that's only about this topic, but you can also do uh, Google on our friend, Google on Mm -hmm. on, um, attachment style test, and you will come up with a number of solid attachment style quizzes that will help you to understand your own style better. There's one that will also help you decipher a partner's attachment style. If you Google attachment style plus Levine plus test, Levine is L-E-V-I-N-E plus test. It will let you quickly in 18 questions, assess your own style, as well as the style of your last partner, your current partner, your prospective partner, very helpful stuff. Very helpful stuff. There are other things you can do to become more secure, but they are so labor intensive. By far, the easiest one is learn what security looks like. Emulate that in your own behavior and thinking and find a partner who has that. So let me just quickly tell you what I call the four C's of secure attachers. These are the behaviors that you're looking for when you look for a secure partner. And by the way, about two thirds of people have a secure style. So the odds are pretty darn good from that standpoint. But anybody you meet will say, I've had such a hard time meeting someone like this especially people who are dating online. I am in favor of online dating. I want to say that right now, at least a third of people are meeting their marriage partner that way. Not just somebody to date, someone to marry. It is becoming a more and more common way to meet people because of the fractured kind of way we live our lives where we work one place, we shop a different place, and we worship yet a different place, and we spend so much of our time alone and online. It I I want you to understand, I'm not trashing online dating here. That said, You're likely to meet a lot of people who aren't secure there. And here's why secure people tend to be in the mating market for a very short period of time. These aren't the people who have impossibly high standards for a life mate. So they tend to find somebody who the fit is good enough, they deeply bond with that person, they love them very much, they behave in ways that are likely to sustain a relationship, and they usually stay married for the rest of their lives. They do not cycle back in and out of the mating market most of the time. Sometimes their partner dies and then they're back on the mating market. Again, usually briefly. Sometimes they get with someone who kicks them to the curb because of whatever reason, usually something to do with the non-secure partner, frankly. They don't, most of them don't cycle back in and out very often. So what that means is while about 70, 60 to 70% of our adults in America are secure, that's not who's primarily going to be the person you're going to meet online. You're going to have to learn to recognize secure attachers and bypass people who aren't. By the way, if you're secure, you can date absolutely anybody because your security tends to help the other person become more secure. But if you're not secure, you need to be with someone secure that's the bottom line i can't express it any more clearly than that so here are the four c's of a secure attacher this person behaviorally they are calm clear consistent and close calm clear consistent and close and i want to tell you what each one of those looks like in a nutshell they may come off as boring to you if you're not secure You may have met, as I'm talking, you may think, oh, I did meet a number of people like this and I stopped dating them because they were boring. No, they weren't boring. They were calm. They didn't bring the drama. Non-secure attachers tend to confuse drama with love. They tend to be sucked in by a push-pull dynamic that feels painful when, when, You're being pushed away or when you're pushing your partner away but then it feels erotically charged when you're close those relationships are fueled by drama not by actual love so i want you to understand you may have been rejecting people who had exactly what you needed because you confused a lack of drama with a lack of chemistry give these people a chance calmness is not the same thing as being boring ask yourself Why am I thinking this person is boring? Is it because they don't talk about all their trauma on the first date? You know what? Talking about all your trauma on the first date is a bad plan because the people it appeals to are not secure. Look at the way somebody interacts with you as layers of an onion. I want you all to ask any prospective partner the following question. If your ex were here right now, what would they say was the reason? that things didn't work out. I want you all to ask that question and here's why. There are a lot of reasons. One reason is if they say something hateful, derisive, disrespectful about their ex, never see them again. I don't care if their ex cheated on them 20 times. If they say, and she was a whore, never see them again because that's disrespectful. They can say in a respectful way, well, my former wife actually cheated on me during the honeymoon and throughout our relationship and it broke my heart. Notice that that's true and it's not disrespectful. One thing I want you to listen for is respectfulness and kindness from the get-go, even about and especially about their ex. Another reason is I want you to listen for whether this person is secure. A non-secure person tells you in gory detail everything that happened. A secure person is like layers of an onion. The first answer they give you to this question might be something like, well, I hate to say it, but she wasn't faithful to me. It's a story that we could get into in more detail later, but that's the crux of the matter. They don't tell you every gory detail right at first. You may feel like, oh, well, that was kind of boring. No, it's not. It's appropriate. This person is appropriately telling you their truth at a very basic level. They might say something like, you know, my former spouse and I, you know, we married really young and we didn't actually have all that much in common. And it took me a while to understand that that was the case. Later on, you're gonna get a lot of details if this person is secure, but right at first, that's enough of an answer, right? So I want you to ask that question because it tells you something about kindness or respectfulness, but it also tells you, is this person calm? One of the ways I know they're calm is they don't bring the drama when I ask a tough question. They appropriately and truthfully answer, but then after I know them three weeks, Three weeks later, they give me another layer of the onion. And six weeks after that, I get another layer until I'm all the way down at the middle of the onion. People who do the Vulcan mind meld of dating on the first three dates, those people aren't secure. I want you to be with someone secure. So a secure person is calm. A secure person is also clear. They will tell you what they need in a really clear, but again, non-dramatic fashion. One example, I was working with someone who um, was very secure. And I wished I could just bottle this quality and just distribute it widely because they didn't assume that if a date didn't go well, it was because of something they did wrong. That's a non-secure thing to assume when you're first getting to know someone, usually the reason that, uh, that you don't see somebody again is something to do with them. And their feeling about goodness of fit or their needs. It has not, it's not a blanket statement on whether you're awesome or not. So I was talking to this person and they told me about something that hadn't worked really quickly. And I said, why do you think it didn't work? And they said, well, um, she uh, only wanted to text. She never wanted to talk. And I feel like it's a terrible way to get to know somebody. So I just said, look, if we're not going to ever talk on the phone, we're not going to date. And I said, oh, I love that. I love that you were able to, without making her wrong, without making her crazy, just say what you needed and state your standard very plainly. This is what I have to have and and it's just not going to work without it. Non-secure people, especially anxious people, which is people who feel like I'm going to love you more than you're going to love me
0: hmm.
1: or I'm not really worthy of love, deep down they don't feel like they're really worthy of it. Those people have if if you feel a lot of fear about stating your needs in a plain way without justifying them. Like this guy didn't justify it. He just says, well, this is how I get to know people. And and if that's not on the table, we're just not going to be going out. He didn't say, you know, he didn't go into a lot of details about why he needed it. He just felt justified. This is how, this is how I get to know people. I'm just going to put it out there. Wow. That's awesome. Okay. They're clear. They know what they want. They asked for it. All of us could benefit from that. And by the way, When you do that you get something so valuable if you say i need to know that after we've been together a while you'll put it out there on social media because that's i feel safe i don't feel safe if you tell me we've got a bond but then it's secret okay some people are terrified to say that and those people aren't secure I want you to pretend to be secure. I'm not asking you to change your feelings. I'm asking you to change your actions. And here's why. Number one, research proves that we can act ourselves into a way of feeling. We can act secure and feel more secure. Hmm. The number two reason is when you state your need in a clear, concise way without making anybody wrong and without over justifying yourself, you just say, this is what I need. And here's how I feel when I get it. Or I don't feel safe that we've been together three months and you haven't changed your relationship status. Can we have a conversation about that? When you say what you need in a clear, concise way, you get valuable information. Instead of creating drama and hoping the person figures it out or hoping the person reads your mind or deciding that you know how they feel and leaving the relationship, hoping they will follow you instead of doing any of that stuff. If you secure this situation, I have turned the word secure into a verb. If you secure this situation by knowing how a secure person would act and doing it, you get valuable information. They will either say, I can meet that need and I want to, or I want to meet that need, but I can't right now. And here's why, or, wow, I really did do that, I'm sorry, let me let me help you with that, all of which are secure ways of responding. Or they can show you that they're not secure by saying, you're needy, which is an avoidant move. Or they can uh, show you that they're not secure by basically refusing to own their part of it, refusing to hear you and making you wrong. But you only get that information if you state what you need. So secure people are kind and they're clear. They're also consistent. You know what a secure person is going to do because they did it before. They will say things like, I will text you when I get home to let you know I made it safely. They will say things like, I'm going to call you at 9.15 tonight and call you at 9.15. They will say things like, I'm not comfortable calling men early in a courtship. I just find that it doesn't work for me, but I will welcome your phone call. That's both clear and it's calm and it's consistent. I'm not going to be calling you. You now know what the ground rules are, right? Calm, clear, consistent. If you get the feeling that sometimes the person is emotionally there for you and sometimes they're not, if you get the feeling that, Sometimes they give you what you need and sometimes they blame you for needing it. You're with somebody avoidant. And an avoidant partner, if you're anxious, especially if you already feel like you might not be worthy of love or you're worried that your partner, your partners in the past wouldn't love you the way you love them. This person is going to be a constant trigger for you. One of my favorite kernels of truth about starting an intimate relationship is the following. Everyone is telling you who they are all the time. If you just have the wisdom to see what they're saying, they're constantly telling you, are they consistent? If they're not, they're telling you that they're not secure. And the final thing is close. Secure people are not instantly close with you. People who instantly exhibit a lot more intimacy than what you could possibly have given how long you've known them. Those people aren't secure. So if you aren't secure and you're looking for someone who instantly seems like they love you, that person isn't secure either. You're looking for someone who shows you some closeness when you talk to them the first time. And then the second time they show you a little bit more. And the third time there's a little bit more than that. Again, think of it as layers of an onion, The person who cuts all the way through the onion and shows you the center right at first, that's not real. That's not real intimacy. Intimacy, this is a scientific definition of intimacy, my favorite one. Intimacy is gradually revealing all aspects of yourself without fearing loss of identity. It's gradual. It doesn't make sense to share all aspects of yourself with everyone, in fact, it's dangerous. I want you to secure how you behave. Even if it's not natural for you, I want you to start answering questions like layers of an onion. If somebody says, how many people have you had sex with? Which is a question nobody should be asking. But if they do, you can say, that's not something I'm actually comfortable asking or talking about, but I will tell you that I'm careful about who I get intimate with. That's a secure answer. I'm firm in my boundaries. And I'm willing to discuss part of this question at an appropriate level for the amount of time I and the amount of intimacy we really have.
0: That is so, oh my gosh, everything you just said, now my brain is, <laughs> okay. Because of course, you know, I'm relating it to my, when my husband and I first started dating and what caused us to draw each other in to each other. And it's funny, like I think it about, some of his issues and my issues, and he wouldn't care me sharing this either because we're both pretty open. I, he had some probably avoidant tendencies. And I had, I had that anxious, like we had that he wanted to, if there's a conflict, he needed some time to process and I would escalate the conversation, right? Because I'm like, oh no, he's walking away. He's going to leave me. What's, what's happening now? I need to make things better. And so do you find that with some people, there's that constant, you know, it's, it's been over a decade. We've worked through this to where now we understand each other's language (laughs) and what's really going on. And we understand we're on the same team, which I think is part of the battle for a lot of people. Right. But what is that push and pull with people? And are there certain types of people that are drawn to each other that maybe shouldn't be?
1: Yeah. Yeah. First of all, congratulations on figuring that out and figuring out that it wasn't personal. It was stuff that you each brought to the relationship. You love each other very much you are able to now communicate about these issues without causing pain and drama. And <laughs> I will say, um, one of the top predictors of divorce is the pursuer distance or pattern, mm-hmm. which is where an anxious person and an avoidant person marry. And um, again, I encourage all of you to learn more about what anxious and avoidant look like. I'm focusing on secure because I want you to understand what that looks like and go for that. But there's actually even a special therapy for people who are in that pattern, if, if listeners today are locked into that gridlock where they feel like, oh, I chase my partner, my partner runs away from me. Uh, the kind of therapy that I encourage you to get is called Emotionally Focused Therapy or EFT. It's been proven effective with about two-thirds of the couples who use it. And yes, you are correct also, Erin, um, that there are some people who are attracted to each other who it makes it just a lot harder anxious and avoidant people are very attracted to each other because the anxious person gets the immediate download of the other person's psychology the instant feeling of chemistry and uh, intimacy avoidant people tend to tell you their life story right away part of that is because at a non-conscious level the avoidant person knows i can't sustain intimacy I have to pull back very frequently, but if I do that on early dates, it never works out. So I better show everything up front to attach this person to me. And it works. It doesn't work with secure partners usually, but it works really well with anxious partners. Hmm. Anxious people in the meantime, really feel worried that they aren't going to be able to get love on an ongoing basis. The avoidant person confirms that version of reality for the anxious person. I'm here for you and now I'm not. I'm here for you and now I'm not. It keeps the anxious person on edge, which is deeply painful. And when I say painful, I don't mean like, oh, you have some emotional pain. It's processed in the same places that pain is processed. Physical pain is processed in the brain. And Tylenol actually relieves it a little bit, weirdly enough. So it's real pain when people act like it's only emotional. For example, if you've ever been involved with an abuser, or any of you listening out there, and I'm sure some of you have been and people, uh, and maybe it was emotional abuse and it never crossed the line to physical abuse. I want you to know two things. Thing number one, that pain is real pain. Emotional abuse is real abuse. Thing number two, longitudinal, meaning long-term over a period of years, studies on people who've been abused show that abusees routinely say that the psychological abuse was much worse than the physical abuse. Mm. It is real. When somebody says, oh, but it never got physical as if, oh, but you were never really abused. You really were. So going back to the anxious avoidant dance, it is painful. The pain is real. And most people don't recover from that without intervention that's there in therapy. And a lot of people don't recover even then. Mm. If you're still in the position of being a single parent or dating, I urge you to get somebody who is secure from the outset. You will not spend years and years and years figuring out a dynamic or finding out it doesn't work. You can save yourself a lot of pain from the get-go by dating somebody who is calm, consistent, clear, and close. And close is the biggest sign that you're with someone secure. As they get closer to you, they get closer and closer and closer and closer. They escalate the closeness without ever pulling back. Have I ever seen an exception? Yes. Here's how to tell if you're with an exception. Okay, I have seen an exception. I've seen a case where there was someone where they did everything that would indicate a secure attachment style. They said they had a secure attachment style and then inexplicably started pulling back. And what I told my client to do, because this was so weird, I said, okay, do not mind read here. Don't mind read, act like a secure person. What would a secure person do? A secure person would say, it seems like you're pulling back and it's (laughs) making me really uncomfortable. You seem really secure. I thought things were going well, and I don't understand what's happening. Can we talk about this? Notice how little drama there is in that. You're saying, I'm observing this, I feel uncomfortable, can we talk about it? Well, it turned out that this person had a perfectly reasonable reason why they were behaving this way and it had nothing to do with my client, nothing at all. They were going through some life stress that was making them feel a tad bit inadequate. And they were feeling a little bit anxious. They were pulling back, assessing, am I really good enough for you? And that changed everything. Just having the conversation, bringing it out in the open, they became much more intimate. They're trending toward engagement now. It's all going great. So I'm not saying if you ever notice that the person pulls back that you should throw in the towel. I'm saying, I want you to look at the pattern. Is the person as a rule calm, clear, consistent, and close? if you notice a pattern of come closer, go away, that's not security. If you notice they pulled back once and you have a conversation with them about it and they get closer to you as a result and they stay close, that's security. Yeah. That's, that's so good. And
0: I, I I think there's so many, you know, it's funny you talked about back at the beginning of the, I guess the description would be like the drama person, the person, because that's exciting. Like I think about like when I was dating in college, right? Like I wanted the drama, I wanted the, oh, this feels so great. And then now, you know, oh, now we have a conflict now, whatever, right? I think a lot of people think that that's normal, but that's not sustainable for a relationship and it's not optimal for a relationship either. And so it really takes knowing your own, like, like you said, like being assertive and knowing how to say when things aren't right, instead of playing these little games, because that's exhausting over time.
1: Oh, I love that you brought that up because humans have a mating ritual, just like birds do. And, and actually all animals have a courtship ritual. This, humans get in the way of it. Sometimes we breed dogs, dogs that might not have chosen each other. Otherwise mm-hmm. we breed horses, but, but all animals have a courtship ritual and we're not immune to that in our courtship ritual. Men are the ones who pursue and women are the ones who usually have the right of refusal. I say men have the, the prerogative of pursuit and women have the right of refusal. That's our ritual. But that doesn't mean that we have to, quote unquote, play games. We can, as women say, I'm most comfortable when a man is the one who does the reaching out, the planning, the pursuing. It's okay if you don't do that. But I just want to let you know, I'm not going to do it either. You can you can put your cards out on the table. Mm-hmm. You can stand in your in your strength there without being gamey about it. You can do that. Um, and if they don't want to step up, they don't step up. And you now have clarity because you did the secure thing of saying what you need. And if you don't get it, you just move right along. Right. That's good. But it also
0: takes knowing yourself (laughs) and working on your own stuff to get to that point, to being secure enough to step up and say what you need. Right.
1: This is a big part of what I work on with clients. You know, I don't, I don't mostly have secure clients. Secure people tend to feel so steady in, in where they're at and what they're doing that they just figure it'll eventually work out. They don't worry about it. Um, anxious and avoidant people tend to do things that cause things not to work out and and unwittingly. And I'm going to say we here because for years and years, I was anxious. I Now test is secure on all the different tests, but I I know myself well enough to know that with a partner who wasn't secure, I could quickly revert to old patterns. So I've been very careful to date secure people and not to date non-secure people because that's what I need. But I work with clients a lot on this. How do you suss out what you really need? What's the difference between feeling triggered and having an intuition that this person is the wrong person? there is a difference and it's something that people who are secure don't have any difficulty with because their anxiety is when they have a gut feeling, they know that they can trust it. They don't have anxiety. That's free floating. That's waiting to attach itself to a person that might not be about who this person is. Right. So, but the rest of us have to suss out the distinction between these two. How do I communicate Uh, when I need something, how do I get over the terror of that communication? What do I do with the information I get back from this person? Uh, How do I keep from settling for someone who can never make me happy? How do I stop picking people who affirm an old unhealthy script? Mm. These questions are all based in attachment style, and I'm happy to report to you. They're all doable. You can have a happy life. Even if you haven't had a happy life before, you really can. That's so good. And I I think you're, you're leading
0: into such a good point because now, you know, I know listeners are like, okay, now I got to read her books. (laughs) Now I got to get her information. So where do people find out more about what you do and get your books and and all of that?
1: Sure. They can go to lovefactually.co and they can get a free, free content on all seven of my books. A free chapter of um, my first two full length books, because I've got some shorter books as well that are just kind of single topic titles. And uh, there's also uh, get coaching that will take you to a portal where you can email me or you can read lots of free articles I've written, or you can see all the um, podcasts I've been on. And so um, you can really find out everything right there. And I will be happy to hear from any of you who want to reach out. Awesome. Now I have one last question. That's
0: my favorite thing to ask. And you know, the name of this podcast is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness,
1: what would it be? Oh, I I love that question. And here's my answer. If I could summarize 60 years of solid relationship science into just one sentence, here's the sentence and you can hang your hat on this one. If you can find and be someone kind and respectful, your love life will probably go well. And if you can't, it won't. That is so good. I agree with that. Yes, <laughs> that is awesome. Wow, I
0: could ask you a thousand questions more questions. And we can go into a lot of different directions. But I, I'm just excited to give listeners a little snippet of what you do, because it is based in science, and not just Oh, this is a really good idea.
1: <laughs> and it's so helpful for so many people. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, it has been my great pleasure. I'd love to do it again. And uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for tuning in to sparking wholeness for more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Check out my website, SparkingWholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show, wherever you listen to podcasts and to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.